Yeah, Ferber, if you ever decommit from the site, you have to do it with one of those graphics. CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Jimmy Sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place for Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, June the 16th. Cavaliers have um, <laughs> come back and won a regional and now have uh, come back and won a super regional and are off to the College World Series this weekend. We will no doubt talk a little bit about that. And, um, and honestly, I don't know what else we're going to talk about. We'll find something. That's what we do. Um, Let's go around and introduce everybody. First, we'll start with uh, the one and only. He's back on the podcast after I don't know how many weeks it's been. From Loud and Justin Ferber's back on the show. What's going on, my dude? Yeah, I had to find my uh, trail of breadcrumbs to get back to this uh, <laughs> to this call. <laughs> it's been a few weeks, I think. Um, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Off the top, uh, let's see. Uh, Damon is, I think, recuperating from multiple weekends in Columbia. Uh, I'm not sure where Dave, what Dave had going on tonight. Oh no, he had, he had, he had uh, dad duty, so he 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 was uh, focused on the kids. Um, so it's just uh, Ferber and I tonight to fly the ship um, through the um, the uh, the fun that is returning to Omaha. Um, it's really a tragedy that uh, that they're playing Tennessee because that video that Tennessee put out of Peyton Manning saying Omaha was one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I think his wife went to UVA too. She so did. Can't. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why everybody thinks, you know, they might have a shot at Arch Manning. Um, there's lots of connections in the Manning family and certainly with, um, you know, some, some, some folks down there in the, Hey, uh, save it for the second half. Of the oh yeah, that's right. Um, but anyway, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about this baseball team. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, uh, I did not expect to be reading tweets from Quinn Blanding, talking about Virginia baseball. Um, and I got to be honest, it was a lot of fun. I mean, granted, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as fun uh, if, the, if, the, if the Wahoos had lost, um, but watching them do what they've done these last, you know, not just, I want to say a couple weeks, but man, it's been a couple months. Um, it's actually really remarkable to me that to have your back against the wall as much as they have and just find ways to come through. Um, and almost to the point when that Kyle Teal... Um, grand slam you just had a feeling something was ha- was going to happen you didn't know where it was going to come from but then once the bases got juiced it just kind of feel it just kind of felt right um what I, I know you've watched just about all these games and and have been along for the ride give me some some initial thoughts on on what you've seen from this baseball team yeah i mean you got to just give them credit for for coming through when they need to um I'm just going to assume they're going to lose on, on Sunday just to get to an elimination situation. Right. Somebody should tell them that they're down 0-1 and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the easiest way to describe it is I, I think once you start to do things like, you know, 
stave off elimination multiple times, it starts to become expected almost. So you get through the regional, you know, where you win four elimination games in a row. Um, three, I mean, no disrespect to Jacksonville, but one of those wins was a road game against South Carolina. Um, and then you beat the number one seed in the regional twice when you were probably the team that, you know, was at a disadvantage from like a depth standpoint from just having to play more games. Um, and, and in those wins, you know, obviously timely hits late, you know, Devin Ortiz hitting the home run to, to win the game in the, in the regional final. Um, and then, you know, there were obviously a few other big plays later in those games and, um, you know, and also like some good pitching down the stretch against South Carolina to kind of close that game out. Um, and then in that first ODU game, you know, all the strikeouts. Um, so then when you got into this weekend and, and uh, Dallas Baptist won the first game, it's like, well, I mean, they've been here before, you know, like they could easily go out and beat a team twice. Um, Dallas Baptist, I mean, I, I know they were a three seed, but they seem like a pretty good team to me. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm like an expert and watched all their games, but they certainly hit a ton of home runs this year. Um, and, and it seemed like everybody in their lineup was pretty dangerous. And, you know, UVA just did a, enough in, in each of these games. Like if they gave up some runs early, they were able to sort of like shut the door there. Um, you know, that happened in, in both of their wins. You know, Dallas Baptist, I believe, led both games, right? Um and, and UVA was able to come back and, and, you know, it wasn't just with, you know, timely late runs. It was also just not giving anything else up. And, you know, um, it was crazy because there were a lot of situations in the weekend where I was like, I don't know if this pitcher's got anything left or like maybe they should go somewhere else with this or, um, you know, why is this guy hitting here? And, and ultimately all those things ended up working out for the most part um, over time. But yeah, I mean, uh, the margin of error that college baseball, definitely a very entertaining product in the postseason. margin of error is really small. A lot of do or die games and, and UVA certainly um, made it about as exciting as they could have along the way um, with having to fight off elimination and winning a bunch of games late. Yeah. It um, man, I, I think there's a, there's a formula, right? When you, when you talk about successful baseball teams in general, right? It's kind of like, if you think about, you know, think about football. You need, you know, you need at least your balance between your offense and your defense, right? Basketball, same idea, right? Your balance between your offense and your defense. And if you're good in both areas, right, you're going to be, you know, typically speaking, pretty good, especially if they can kind of play into each other. Virginia's ability to, to one, I think it's, we, we, if you talk about this baseball team, I think you have to be mindful of the idea that, like, the pandemic and kids getting that extra year was was huge for them because they have a lot of guys on this team that probably wouldn't be there otherwise, right? Um, you know, had they been able to go through a normal 2020 season and a normal sort of draft sort of process and that kind of thing, right? But in general, like, this team is built such that the arms are good, right? They've got good starting pitching. They've got good relief. They've got a closer who's pretty solid. Um, and all of those pieces seem to work pretty well together, at least as of now. They, they, they weren't there earlier in the year but uh the run support has been interesting in the sense that like they're good they're they're good in, in when they're good they're really good and they they do seem to have these lulls that reminded me a lot of uh like virginia basketball at times right yeah it's they, like you they don't get anything for four innings and then it's like they'll have like four straight exactly two <laughs> yeah it reminded me of a basketball team you know a basketball game where you're you know struggling to get out of the 40s and then all of a sudden you're going a 22 to 8 run and you're like oh there it is um but their bats come alive, and I think they've got some threats throughout the whole lineup. I mean, if you look at 
where they are now versus like where they were supposed to be. And you look at some of the, the, the sort of quote unquote known commodities going into the season, you know, you never, I would never have believed that Chris Newell was going to be hitting, you know, as late in the order as he does. Right. Um, or that the Geloffs would be doing what they're doing. I mean, everybody understood. I think that Zach was pretty good. I don't know if everybody expected Jake to be, you know, an everyday player for him. Um, yeah. I mean, they're getting, I, I remember like, not every team is like this. I mean, certainly the team that won the title was good top to bottom, but like a lot of, co- I, I used to go to Davenport a lot when like, you know, Zim and all those guys after him were there. And the Usually the power would drop off after like the four or five spot. Right. And it was like, you're not getting anything after that. But yeah. this team, they got guys, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, like hitting balls out, hitting doubles, you know, like um, they don't have a, a hole in the lineup really. And I think when you, it's, it's funny how like, you know, in, in, in our in how many podcast episodes have we done over the years where we've talked about, you know, various Virginia teams, you know, football, basketball that, you know, um, you know, basketball, like the football, like the defense just needed to do enough. So the offense, you know what I'm saying? There's this like feel of like that the two sides sort of have to pull and anything that one side doesn't do, the other side has to do a little bit more. Right. So that's just a normal, you know, sort of aspect of sports for this baseball team. It's like, they, they, they don't necessarily wait for somebody else to make a play, but when somebody makes a play, so like let's say that that's you know, somebody at the plate, well, then they just the runs roll, right? If, they're, if it's somebody on the mound, it's like the, then the rest of the pitchers who pitched that day are also going to throw really well, right? Like you see what, what Griff McGarry was doing that night, has to go out because of the, the blister on his thumb, and then Brandon Neat comes in and just, just goes crazy against ODU, right? What Matt Wyatt did the other day. And those aren't even like the names, right? Those aren't even the dudes that you would have pointed to before the season and said, you know, like, or even during the season yeah. at times. I mean, you know what I mean? They're, they're closers like an internet phenomenon, and I'm yes. not, they didn't even use him. And, it, and it, he wasn't even available, and it didn't even matter. They haven't had Blake Bales either, and he and it hasn't mattered. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, the the I, I think that that's the untold story. Is that, yes, it's great that they've hit so many home runs, and, and I think arguably it's probably a, li- a tad concerning because you're worried yeah. you know, it's like I living mean, honestly, a nine off three but that's why they won the games because yeah. like you think about you know just moving guys over and getting them across they they probably haven't been consistent enough to do that a lot you know right but the home runs have sort of like made it so that hasn't mattered as much but yeah you're right, right. And omaha sometimes it plays i remember one year one of the years uva lost i think it was the year they lost to vandy in the final like the ballpark played really big that year yeah. and it was like no home runs in like the entire college world series. <laughs> well, that's, if you're going to play this, like, you know, gorilla ball, so to speak, right. You, you, you you're going to only score runs. Um, what's funny about UVA is they're not, they're not necessarily built to, to be the team that offensively they've been this, you know, last couple of weeks. Right. Like they are built to move guys around. They, they're, they're more than happy to bunt. You know, they're, they're not, they're okay with sacrifices. You know, they don't need to beat the, the, the leather off the ball. Um, but at the same token, it's a nice, it's a nice gear if you got it right. Like it's nice to be able to, to, to understand that like at any point in the lineup, you know, pretty much, you know, you've got seven dudes in that lineup who you think, you know, Hey, this, this, this guy, you know, he could, he could go long here. Um, especially because their pitching has been so good. You know, it's, it's hard to believe this, but like Andrew Abbott is their ace. There's no doubt about it, right? And, and the stuff he had at portions of the, the latter part of the season were just filthy. And then he has he has not had he didn't have, have good starts in Columbia. And then you look at what the rest of the you know the staff did. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable that they were not just as consistent as they were, 
but downright dominant in spots. You mentioned DBU. Like, that team is built about around Gorilla Ball, and they just took the air out of the ball on them for, like, 12, 13 innings somewhere in there, um, which yeah, it was like is exactly what up, you have to I do. Mean, they'd give up, like, one big hit, and it'd be like, all right, it's 2 nothing, And then it's like, well, you know, you might get a single or something here and there, hit one to the track, but, you know, there wasn't – they just weren't – and they weren't allowing them to really string hits together too much either, which is important, you know, and keeps their pitchers out there longer. And, you know, I, I thought that they just did a really nice job, especially guys coming in in relief. Um, that's an area where teams usually kind of fall apart. Right. And and they've done a really excellent And And it's funny because, I mean, you could look at this and be like, well, you know, they've they've been so good, you know, with out of the bullpen, like if they could just get Abbott to, you know, be dominant, you know, in game, I'm assuming he'll pitch on Sunday. Um, yeah. I would have assumed too. Like, you know, but at the same time, it's like, how can you ask the bullpen to be this good every game? Yeah, that's true. I mean, but what's funny about it is because it has been different guys at different times. It's not like they're, they're having to turn to like one mm-hmm. dude who comes out there, you know, with his arm about to fall off. You know what I mean? Like and different some guys college have really teams shared have been that. doing that. <laughs> like yeah. And they had the to teams, they pitch now, 90 pitches out of the bullpen and stuff. So yeah, having to go with, with Steven, the, you know, as, as many innings as they did. And then for him to not be available because he went so many innings, um, it did put a little pressure on the staff and they, they answered that call with resounding, um, a plum, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was, like I said, it, it was one of those. It's it's a run that is very uh, impressive for a variety of reasons. Um, now I will say, just you know, to be fair, that if you don't start out playing like crap, typically uh, you don't have to play every game like it's an elimination game yeah. from you know middle of April on. But then again, like to the fact that they did that, um, I do think you know I wrote this kind of quippy headline the other day on one of Damon's stories that was like you know they've turned you know, coming back into a skill, but they really have turned, you know, coming back into a skill. There's a, there's a confidence in them that if they have outlets left that they're, they're going to be okay. And we made that joke earlier about like, tell them, you know, that they're already down Oh one Sunday when they play Tennessee. Um, but I really think that they'd be better. Like there's just something psychological. Anybody who went to college understands this, right? Like if you had a paper due, you always wrote better. At least 99% of us, those 1% of y'all who did things two weeks in advance, y'all are weird. Um, but the, most of us, right. We, we, the night before, like, oh man, I really got to focus on this. And that's when you did your best stuff. Um, you know, I'm yeah, a, some I'm people a writer. Thrive I love on, deadline. Some people thrive on the pressure yeah. of having, and these guys you know, seem to all do that, you know? And, uh, um, and also it's like you watch these games and it's like, all right, like every it's like I said earlier, it, it, it really does. That's why college baseball is so cool is that almost every game is like, all right, this is the season on the line, like for somebody. Um, and you know, every game it's like, all right, it's a sixth inning. They don't have any runs. All right. You know, down to nine outs. And it's like the, the way that this team has been playing nine outs feels like a lot, you know, whereas like in some teams it doesn't, it's like, all right, we're about to be out of time, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the thing that's kind of been encouraging to me too, we talked about, you know, up and down the lineup, they've been good, but when it's come to making the big plays that, you know, the guys that they depend on in the middle of the lineup have been the guys that have sort of been delivering as expected you know um Ortiz obviously winning the regional and then um and he had a huge game in that game anyway but um and then obviously like Teal comes up the other day and it's like all right this is a big spot for him and you know he goes down 0-2 and then he just you know put it out right so um it's it's always cool when you can see the guys that they really you know depend on deliver and and, you know put them over the top so who's been your favorite player 
through this run? Who's 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 the guy who uh, you just enjoy watching the most? That's a tough question. Um, That's what they pay me for. Yeah, Teal is fun just because he, he plays with a lot of energy. You know, I'm getting a little bit tired of the slippery hair stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, my dude swings and the helmet moves. I mean, you know, at this yeah. point, it's like you know, some boy. It's some, like, do they not have like one of their equipment guys is like, come on, man. Yeah, but I also something. think that uh, Newell's like. I think Damon actually mentioned this a few weeks ago on the pod, but he's just really smooth in center. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah, like I mean, he made that play at the wall the other day. That was crazy. I mean, that was. A and great you know, catch. what's funny is that like I actually thought the one he didn't make was even more impressive. You know, the one where he he catches it and he and he and he it's just because oh, it of where yeah. where the where the ball like where he caught it and then where his hand you know it's almost as like his hand as he was gripping it you know hits the wall and because of just where the ball was it was like one of those like helmet on a football fumbles you know, um, yeah. but even just that play by itself. But I mean, there have been a handful of plays. Um, I know if some folks, you know, kind of got on them on Twitter and, and on the message board too, like, Hey, you know, maybe the outfield could be a little cleaner, but I thought, you know, he's played pretty well for me. It's probably, uh, Ortiz. I just love that kid's story so much. Like you came, you were pitching, you know, you, everything was good. You were a solid reliever. And that, next thing you know, you're the DH and, you know, carrying the big stick like that. And then you come in and you, you throw four shutout innings and give them exactly what they needed. And then you hit the walk off. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. I, mean, I, I tweeted it after that game. I was like, this is, that's what makes college baseball so funny is like the starting pitcher. Who's also a first baseman who doesn't yeah. pitch, pitch four good innings and then wins a walk. And he, and he, wins and he looked pretty good too. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I know after yeah, he the was game, throwing, yeah, he was throwing after, after the game, they said, you know what, he's actually, you know, they that they had planned that all along that if if that scenario presented itself he would be the one who would go because he'd been throwing in some um, inner squad scrimmage stuff uh, during the week. Yeah, I thought. I mean, it was pretty clearly. I thought it was planned just because when the game got rained out, they kept him as the starter because people yeah, were like, "Oh, right. maybe Abbott could sneak in a few innings now or something." But they were like, "Nope, we're, we're going to go with what we got planned." Um, it's just it's just amazing to me to watch like just to think about the mental side of it. Um. Right. Like think about the way like from a preparation standpoint. Right. You haven't been a starting pitcher. You know, you what was it? He had thrown two innings or whatever in the calendar year or whatever yeah. it was, or whatever that was. So probably two relatively like low. Right. Innings. And we can talk. We can talk all you want about, man, he was throwing some innings and, and scrimmage and stuff. That's not the same thing. Right. Um, and then to get through multiple innings the way he did, you know, um, that that was that was eye opening to me in and of itself, but just the idea of like the preparation to go from getting yourself ready to pitch, but then also knowing that you you know you you needed to be you needed to also be right at the plate. And I understand that there are plenty of you know pitchers in baseball who also hit, but none of them, at least as far as I know, have back cleanup, right? And to come through in the spot he did and to do what he did, I thought, you know, it's just it's just an incredible story. Um, and I think too, like, um, there are a lot of options on this team for you know the Geloff story. Um, basically, I mean, look, no, I don't, I don't want to turn the podcast into me uh, patting Damon on the back, but Damon has had like every. It was like we were we, every day. It felt like we had it. We were we were bringing back another feature he wrote to put it back out there. You know, like oh well, now's a good time to reshare this thing on the Geloffs, or here's a good <laughs> yeah. time to you know the senior day story about Ortiz and coming as a pitcher and. Or All the while, he's like running over to Ramsbacker's house to let the right. dog out. 
Um, but you know, every I mean, from Brandon Neek and his shoulder to Griff McGarry, and you know, I mean, it was just everywhere, man. Um, but there are a lot of options. The Geloff thing, I think, was probably the the one that was the. Um, I mean, hell, he even wrote a, the story about Kyle Teal, and I mean, he was on radio that day and said like Teal, you know, maybe this is the Kyle Teal breakout moment or whatever. Um, that kid though, that kid is scary good. Like that kid's really good. His like he they're they're going to go down like there are plays in that game the other day from right where that didn't go down as outs that will I will not forget. Like that one where he threw that that frozen rope. He threw that thing as a, it was a yeah. seed he threw from right field to third. And I don't care. It was one of those times where it's like, I don't care if the kid was really out. He should just be out. Like, you should give that dude his due, you know? He's got a cannon. He, he does. And it's accurate. I mean, you like, can see, like, he's going to be, like, a pretty high draft pick. Yeah, he when is. His time he absolutely. Comes. Yeah, when his yeah, time comes. I mean, he's he's left-handed bat, and he's got all the tools. Like, you know, he, he can run. He can throw. Like, he's going to be good. Now, what's your what's your most over is the is the teal helmet situation your most like overwrought storyline that you're ready to to see? <laughs> I or mean, you, you done with the dipping dots yet? I th- the problem is, and and God bless the announcers that had to call all these games. They were clearly remote. Yeah, I, I I'm yeah. excited. I'll just say this: I'm excited for them to get to Omaha and get some change. <laughs> Not because yeah. those announcers were bad, but they're in a really tough spot where they're yeah, like they calling are. the game. I was telling somebody the other day during the game, like they're clearly behind me. Like yes. they're seeing things as I'm seeing them. And I'm right. like, Oh, he was clearly out at second. And the guy's like, and he throws to second and then he doesn't say anything. And it's like, yeah. he's out. You can well, and, out. and this, and this was bugging the <laughs> crap out of me too, was I, I'm not sure. And this is a good place to mention this. So nowadays with ESPN, especially when you're talking about teams in the ACC and the SEC, um, because ESPN is the the partner for those networks, right? Yeah, I know where you're going um, with this. A lot of the production stuff is done in house, right? Mm-hmm. So at UVA, like if you ever, you know, if you follow a handful of the the various like JPJ um, or sports information folks on Twitter, like they'll show you the control room and whatnot. Those people are are they're doing ESPN's production, but they're not ESPN people. Now that's not to say that there aren't plenty of them. I think the folks at UVA do an incredible job and, and, that, and I'm, and I'm not meaning to throw any shade at them whatsoever. I'm just saying that like, there's a difference between ESPN's people roll in, unpack their cables and, and, and shoot the thing, produce it. And then they go and then they leave. I'm, I, I don't know for sure that this was, you know, South Carolina's people, but like you would get these camera angles, right? They didn't have so, any, cam- they had probably three cameras in the place. And then something. the pitcher would like throw over to first and it would take five seconds for a camera to cut to first. And the kid who dove back is already standing up, dusting himself off. And the poor announcer guy's waiting to be, yeah, either, and he's looking at the same thing we're looking at, I think, or he's got a spotter in his ear, which is, this mm-hmm. is sometimes the way they work this too. And they did this some for UVA football games this fall, where they would have somebody in the press box, one of the UVA sports information folks. And she had a head, she had a headset on and she's on the phone and she's talking to them about what she sees and telling them directly. Um, and these were, you know, games that were being broadcast, you know, remotely. Um, and so she, you know, they're waiting for that, you know, that piece of it. So they can, you know, they can see it, but they probably already know what's happened. And so that's what they would, a lot of the things you would hear him say is they would almost say it, but with a question mark at the end, mm-hmm. right? Like somebody wrote it on the prompter for, for Ron Burgundy. Well, um, yeah, it's like they didn't even like the, I don't know if the teal one was like that jarring, but there were a lot of other home runs where it was like, oh, he hit the ball. I can yeah, tell they, it's going to be a flight home run and to they le- didn't to whatever. Right. Yeah. And then the one that, the one that Kent hit earlier in the game, like you see the left fielder just jogging towards the fence. 
and it's like okay that's that's gone he's not even trying to catch it you know and yeah. and the the guy calling it is like and it's pretty deep it's like <laughs> yeah it's out can I tell you my can I tell you my favorite moment though my favorite moment sure. and I, I'm now realizing I don't know if I actually if I saw this organically I think Dave might have actually texted us and told us hey watch for this but it's on the Ortiz home run and you can see that there's a um there's a pitcher for the other, oh yeah for you, yeah I saw up this. in the bullpen yeah and like and if you're if you're listening to this and you, and you don't know what I'm talking about go back and watch the clip of Ortiz's home run my dude and listen I'm. I am, as Ferber will attest, one of the like most intense, fiery people on the planet, right? I I will randomly get into a dust up with somebody over nothing, okay? So I I, I don't I, I'm not trying to be up I'm not trying to say that this kid was wrong for being upset that you know that this oh no not at going. all but yeah. I mean my dude slams the ball and I mean he gave that ball everything he had well man. it was just funny too because the home run was basically hit right to him. right at, yeah exactly so it's like <laughs> it's, he, he he had the best view of it and he knew exactly what was happening and he was uh, none too pleased which I completely understand but that, that yeah, was that like was, there was a there was a clip in the Tennessee whoever they played in their first game in their regional and the guy mm-hmm. hit the massive home run like walk off and he pimped it like really hard um the first baseman for the other team i think it was right state <laughs> literally <laughs> you can find the clip or i'll send it to you the guy he hits the home run and as soon as the ball is off of his bat the first baseman starts jogging into the dugout <laughs> he doesn't look <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't look up he doesn't do anything he's like yep that's it he just it just jogs yep up. that's it <laughs> <laughs> love it um all right so i, I mean i am I'm, I'm not in the business of of scouting the college world series damon will will be handling all that fun stuff later mm-hmm. this week um but i'm just curious what's your what's your i mean like one of the things about the the way that the ncaa tournament works for baseball is that you know you you, you kind of have like these you know it's, it's it's similar i guess actually now i think about it to basketball in the sense that like the way basketball coaches think of the ncaa tournament is very different from the way a lot of fans think about it. They think mm-hmm. about it as like it's it's little mini tournaments each weekend, right? And you got to find your way to get to the championship of that that weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you play who who you got, and you you just keep winning. Baseball is obviously different because you can lose and you can come from the losers bracket. Um, but the way that this thing sets up, where you have this first weekend and then you have a series, and then you're here and you've got essentially the two portions of the bracket. And you know, the, there's a double emulation aspect of it and everything. It's basically a region, two regionals in a exactly. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a fun way to decide a champion, though. I love it. And then you get to the series at the end. But anyway, what's your what's your general sense? Because there is a little bit of a, a of a reset that happens after each weekend. You know, once yeah. you get through the regional, your your pitching is now set up. Now, once you get through the super regional, you know, everything sets up differently because you have days off and stuff. What's your what's your general sense of this tournament, at least as it stands with these last uh, eight teams left? Uh, first, I would say that at this point, the fact that UVA is not like a national seed um, and all that, I think you can kind of throw that out the window um, because it's pretty clear to me anyway that they um, turned some sort of a corner, right? In the back half of the regular season, you know, they started winning. Then they went through two difficult rounds of postseason play, and they made it to the they made it through their pool in the ACC tournament, right? So, um, they've they've sort of proven that they're not the team that we saw early in the season, or at least they they can be much better than that. So, I don't think you have to look at this and be like, oh, they have no chance against these teams. Having said that, I mean, I think the teams they're playing, they the number two team and number three team in the country, 
I think the two highest seeded teams remaining, right, are are in the are in their side of the bracket. Yeah. Um, you know, I, a couple of things. I mean, one, it's like if you're UVA and you lose the first game, it's like you can kind of draw on the experience that you've had, and it's not the end of the world. Um, on the other hand, I mean, like it's going to be hard to claw your way out from a losers bracket when every team is really, really good. Um, no offense to Dallas Baptist, but they were a three seed in their regional. So I mean, like. You know, it's going to be tough. I honestly like this is not to say that they can't make a run because I think you can. Baseball is a fine margin sort of game. A lot of it comes down to who's pitching well in a given game. Um, they can definitely pitch with if probably anybody in the tournament, um, except for maybe Vanderbilt because <laughs> they're like loaded at starter. Um, but I, I feel like this is a house money situation. I, I really do. Um, they, they're not chasing a national championship anymore or like they've already gotten one. So that's not like something that they need to get to kind of, you know, prove themselves. Um, you know, no one's probably going to expect them to do anything except for them. Um, they've been really loose, you know, through these last two rounds. Um, the, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that unlike pretty much every other team that's there, probably every team that's there, UVA hasn't gotten to really to play in front of big crowds. Um, it's very true, yeah. Which a is, a, I think, it's a detriment to them. I'm not saying like they would be playing better on the field in front of more people, but that's part of the fun of making the run to the College World Series. You know, you go play in in an ACC or SEC venue in front of you know ten thousand people. Usually, you're playing in front of you know hundreds or just a couple thousand during the regular season. Um, you know, this is going to be different for them, and, and it's cool that they're going to get to experience it. I'm, I'm pretty sure Omaha is going to have, like, a full crowd. Um, but Yeah, they are. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be fun. Um, I, they've given us, you know, usually, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the pod. Usually it's a it's a jarring transition from March basketball into the off season, with, you know, obviously, like, lacrosse won a national championship. We shouldn't gloss over that for people that are into that. Um, we don't really cover it too much but um you know it, it's cool that they're you know giving I, I just love watching the college world series and it's cool to have like some skin in the game um but yeah i think it, i think they need to just approach it as like a house money situation go out keep playing loose and and see what happens because um every game's gonna be tough but they've kind of proven that they can hang with with good teams and they the, the issues that they had earlier in the season aren't because they're not talented enough right like yeah they're, they're I mean, talented sometimes- enough yeah, sometimes, you know, the the thing just doesn't work the way you expect it. And that's not necessarily, you know, obviously some teams, that's because something's broken, right? You, some schematic thing, some sort of... We're also, um, like, wrapping whatever. up a pandemic and, you know... Right, that, yeah. So. And, and I think for UVA in this, this, it was like too many different guys just weren't, were not performing the way that they were expected to or needed to. And the weather's and then, cold. Like, it's yeah, hard and, to play baseball and once, early in the season. And once the thing got rolling, you know, they, they obviously, they became the team... A lot of us, you know, thought they might have. I think for me, if you look at you look at the bracket and you look at the teams, you know, obviously UVA side is stacked. Um, if you think of UVA in terms of being the team that we all thought they were going to be, you know, a preseason, you know, highly ranked club um, with the pedigree they have, you know, while these specific players have not been through it, the staff certainly has, and there's a there is a culture there. Um, you know, Damon wrote this thing on, on, with Carl Kuhn talking about you know, um, that 
yeah, it's great that you know you've got this talent, this and you know these pictures that. But realistically, it's it's about that culture. I do think a lot of that has to it has to carry you. Um, your point about the the crowds is well taken. I think that's a that's an interesting wrinkle. Um, they're going to have to continue to do what they've done, right? They're going to have to be who who they've been, and by and large, that has not been a problem for them in this run. Um, you know, they they seem to bounce back quickly. They they have short memories. Um, I love the fact that even if they don't necessarily make it, the adjustments at the plate really quickly, they seem to, when they make the adjustment, they will, they will chase a guy, you know, like they, it doesn't take them much. Um, it doesn't matter how good, how, how well you're throwing. Um, it can turn on a dime. And once that thing starts to turn, it, it turns hard. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch it and certainly excited to see, um, how it all sort of plays out. Um, I feel like in 2015, you know, I, in the past, we, my, my whole thought process on baseball has always been like, it's hard to, for me to cover it correctly. And what I mean by that is, is that like, because of spring football, because of basketball, um, yeah, you miss half the season. Exactly. And I, I don't, I don't like parachute dropping in because a team's good. Now I understand that there's a certain element to that of like, well, that's how fans work, right? Fans are focused on a lot of different things, and then once the lacrosse team's playing on Memorial Day, you're like, oh man, let's let's get into this, right? And baseball's different. There's more games, right? Most of them aren't on TV, like, right? Well, at least, it, at least not, they used it, to be, right? Yeah, now now it's a little bit more accessible, but um, you know, now now it's like this is it's sort of like hockey where it's like the playoffs, like a lot more people watch because it's like the regular season. You're just kind of getting to the playoffs um college baseball it's like all right when you know once basketball is over people kind of start to focus on it but um you know i think that this is par for the course you know yeah so so it's it's, i've always historically like i i know i've done a little bit here and there and uh i've you know tried to cover it or gone to games but realistically like it was just from a from a time standpoint and resources it you know so having you know being able to to to, to bring Damon on and to have him go and, and do it right. And I mean, the dude knows all the people, you know, he can get, you know, former coaches on the phone. Um, you know, he's getting, you know, he, he's texting me and saying, Hey, I got, you know, these former players, you know, did, uh, cool. Let's go. Um, that has been great. And it certainly has been great for the site. You mentioned earlier, you know, sort of like that, that, um, that dead season we sort of go into, you know, I always, thought like you know if we could do baseball right that we you know and given how much success you know oak and his folks have had that for the site purposes at least from a from a content standpoint from planning out things like we could almost stretch it out where you'd only get like a handful of weeks of real you know quote-unquote off season um and that's kind of we did it right this year we brought in a pro (laughs) yeah exactly and i mean like i can't sing the dude's praises enough like um his stuff is is it's good. It he's got great story ideas. Um, I I just want to let I I just want to put this out there again. I, I think I said something similar a few weeks back. But anything baseball, like none of that is me. Okay, except for when I forget, you know, I make some mistakes in the edit. That's me. But like he's he's just killed it, and and I'm so thankful that that he has. Like I'm so it, it's been so great to watch, you know, because I know I know like it matters to him. Like his coverage matters to him. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to, to watch him do what he clearly is really good at doing what he loves to do. And so I've can't sing his praises enough, man. Like if you, if you've enjoyed baseball coverage, it's because of Damon. Trust me on that. Like the dude is, he's got great ideas and 
he executes them and um it's been it's been wonderful so anyway really really uh excited to see what they do um in omaha starting this weekend um and uh we'll, we'll wait and see for sunday um we're about a half an hour and some change in dude what what do, what do you think you uh you got anything else on your mind isaac squared yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about Isaac Squared. What did you think reading that story? What did, what did, what did your gut tell you? Um, I mean, honestly, reading that story just kind of like you're obviously referencing the interview you did with him, but um, correct. Yeah, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Just just to clear um, that up. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, it, it seemed positive, which obviously they usually are after after recruiting visits, but um. I mean, you have to think UVA is in a pretty good spot, right? I mean, I know that the competition is is robust. Um, it seems like him and McNeely have, you know, a connection. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think that can't be discounted. I think UVA is a good fit for him, and I think he's a good fit for UVA. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go out here and say, like, I think it's done or anything like that, but um, certainly always hard to pull kids from far away. But, um yeah, I mean, it was kind of cool watching them like in the video, like working out at JPJ. Um, I saw that over the weekend; that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this is a guy that Tony is obviously after in a big way, and you know, now I guess once he gets into decision making mode, I think UVA is going to be right there with you know a couple other teams. I uh, I mentioned this on the board, but I, I I I'm I'm really struggling to 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 think of a time where I had two back-to-back interviews like I did with Fisher Anderson and, and Isaac Trout that day. Um, because on the one hand, you know, Anderson's talking to me and he's, he's such a different kid in the sense of like what we think of as, you know, typical sort of quote unquote recruits or at least highly rated, you know, sort of rivals 250 rivals 100 kids. Right. I mean, he appreciates the, the facility stuff and the, you know, the tours and the jerseys and things like he appreciates that part of it. But realistically, like, he kind of doesn't care. Like that's not, that's just not his, his thing. Um, and so the fact that Touje, you know, didn't just, you know, go plan a hike for the guys or you know, whatever. And like he took the time to go buy a set of uh, discs so they could play disc golf. Cause he knew how much the kid loved it. Um, I didn't put this in the story cause it, it did. It ne- there was nowhere it fit, but he he's telling me, you know, about the disc golf game. Cause I had heard that, you know, he was a big diff, disc golf guy and that, TJ had and they had played and he's like yeah he went out and got some discs you know practiced a little bit beforehand and I and I made a joke and I said he just you know he didn't want to show he didn't want you to show him up and the kid waits a beat and goes oh no I I showed him up <laughs> and I was like <laughs> I was like okay fair enough uh but he's like but well, I really I mean, appreciate the very, effort that wouldn't be very good recruiting if the coach is just that's true yeah the coach is like yeah no how do you like that but I, so so to go from him talking about TJ and the connection with you know the various recruits that were there and you know, sort of that experience. And then to talk to Trout and talk to him about McNeely and the McNeely family and also, you know, talking to Tony about, you know, life and, you know, not just basketball, but, you know, life and faith and, you know, sort of the the, the way everything works. But then when he started talking about JPJ and having everything under one roof, it, it really sounded to me, and again, I've done, an, I don't know how many recruiting, you know, post-visit stories in my, in my tenure, right? And I've definitely done them where guys sounded really excited, even if they had not yet committed, right? Um, 
this was one of the best ones I've done because you could tell, like, I, and I don't know if it came through in the words and the story, but it certainly was there in his voice. You could tell that like the kid has seriously thought about what if that's my home? Like, what if that's where I go? And then like when I asked him the thing about the distance, I mean, he almost laughed it off. Like, it's just a plane ride, man. Like, it wasn't that big a deal. So, I mean, it, it was clear to me if UVA is not the front runner, then he doesn't have one. What he has is a group of them at the top in his mind, and UVA is absolutely there. Um, my guess right now is that it's between UVA and Nebraska. Um, and that realistically, what a weird group of two. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you think about the schools, you know, that he, he's talking about, you know, he's going to go to Carolina um, in a few weeks, or yeah, he was going to go to Carolina after Michigan State. I mean, think about the styles of play of the four, those four teams. No, and that's no, no shade to Creighton because I know he, he was there for an unofficial. But I, it certainly sounds like he's going to take those visits. He's going to go into July. He's going to focus on, you know, his last AU season with Nebraska Supreme. And then, I mean, I don't think it'll be that long after. Um, now, with basketball, it's a little bit different in the sense that, like, he could go out in July and just absolutely blow up, right? Like, he could go out there in the right, diff- you know, right event with the right coaches, a couple offers here and there. And next thing you know, he's, he's not even up. that far away from that now, really, right? Really, I mean, he's not. North Carolina, no, he's really not. Mix, like. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but you know, you start talking about like, you know, Kentucky or somebody. Now, maybe their styles of play don't, you know, the blue. Okay, bloods. I did. Wait a second. I just realized something. I don't want to cut you off, but we haven't talked since Coach K retired. That's true. We haven't. I was I was leading <laughs> up to that. Um, uh, but you know, you think about like for a guy like him who is very deliberate in his process, because I made a joke about like you know you're really you know you're really busy, and he he made a point to say like no no I've been really specific, I've been really you know measured so to speak. Um, my word, not his, but that was kind of the vibe he was talking about. Like you know he he he's not taking a ton of visits just to take visits. He wants to take visits. He wants to take. So yeah, I I feel really good about UVA's chances at Isaac Squared, and I think too the fact that not only that he's got a guy in the class that's always helpful. Right, Tony's done really well historically when he can build a class around a guy and have that guy early. Um, but th- those two kids knew each other before he, you know, before McNeely committed to UVA, and certainly being able, you know, he told me straight up, you know, when I talked to him after the state championship run, um, you know, like, yeah, I'm whenever Isaac Trout goes, that's when I'll be there. Um, you know, he was not bashful about that. I think he kind of enjoyed the idea of kind of being the ringleader, so to speak. So, I mean, those two kids, you know, you pair them with Austin Nunez and who knows whatever else. It's a perfect storm in a variety of ways because they've got space. They've got plenty of needs. Like, there's no, like, hey, we got to go get this specific guy. Um, and they're and they're on it early. So, July should be interesting, And, and but I, I, I feel pretty good about Trout. Yes, let's talk about Coach K. Um, uh, first, one more thing on recruiting. I know that I'm yeah, all yeah. over the place. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Shout out to whoever came up with the idea to have the sword. At the yes. Okay. Pitch. We got to talk about the sword. All right. Uh, the sword is like the 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 gift and the curse of recruiting because every picture I see, I'm like, dude, that's really that's really cool. And then I'm always like, how sharp is that thing? Yeah. Is that dangerous? <laughs> is that is that should we should should well, that be I've, a thing? I've seen I've seen ones with like other schools where they've done stuff like that, and I'm yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you know, you give them, you know, Georgia has the the. The, the shoulder pads with the spikes and stuff, right? Like, yeah. I think they put those in, on kids. And plenty of schools yeah, have, like, like, chains. Yeah. Um, I was I always think of it as just being, like... I mean, I mean, I realize that, like, Mad Max predated the actual Road Warriors tag team uh, in WWF, but right. I always think about it being, you know, Animal and Hawk. But anyway, um, there's lots of schools that do things with chains. You know, I like the fact that they had uh, Zach Rice wielding the sledgehammer to break the rock. I thought that was fun. 
Um, but the sword, I was like, all right, where the hell has the sword been? Like, yeah, who, that seems who like had this idea? Somebody, Why didn't they have it five years ago? Yeah, that's one of those things where, like, when you come up with the idea, you're, like, more mad at yourself that you didn't think of it in the four years prior. You're like, how did I not think of this? Like, there are there are definitely ideas, all right? There, like, I this has happened to me a lot lately where somebody else has an idea and you're, like, mad at yourself that you didn't have it first. That's one of the – whoever said that first was, like, everybody in the room went, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, that gif that uh, of Hunter. Like, <laughs> Where do we buy it, one? <laughs> <laughs> but that gif of Hunter pulling it out, going, "Okay, that's not bad." Like that was that that gif is incredible. I don't know who shot that, but you know, my hats off to you. Um, all right, yes, let's let's talk about Coach K. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question in a second. I'm not surprised that he's hanging up, and I'm not surprised that he's doing the farewell tour. And I love the juxtaposition between him doing that and Roy being like, "Nope, I'm out. I'm going to play golf." Um, give me some general thoughts on, on the coach K retirement situation. I mean, I knew the day would come like, you know, it was either that or he was going to like get ill or something. And obviously nobody wants that, but, um, well, I well nobody, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know who listens to this podcast. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's still weird to see it written. I think Jeff Goodman broke it. And it was like, oh, wow, that's just a weird sentence to read. Like, um, I, I just thought the whole thing was, like, very expected, but out of nowhere at the same time where it just popped up on a random day in the middle of the day. There were a few other things that happened that day, and we were like, we're not recording today. That was dumb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, that was, I think, the week that we took off or Damon came on or whatever it was. Um but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's going to be, I think it'll hit me next year when he's gone, you know, um, and John Shire's there. And I mean, you said that they're not really going to do that, are they? And I was like, nah, like they'll go get somebody else. And they didn't. So um, I still, I still, I still can't believe they didn't. And I'm not it entirely is, it sure. Is, I do think it's kind of interesting though, because a lot of, and, and I'm sure Duke fans weren't the only ones, but there were pl- plenty of Duke fans on Twitter and stuff that were like, making fun of North Carolina for hiring like a North Carolina guy for the sake of that. And then they did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I said something about this on the pod somewhere after Roy, I feel, I feel like I was on the pod. Maybe I was on radio or maybe I was just texting you guys, but like, I'm sorry. And I just know, I don't mean this is any shade to Herbert um, um, or Hubert. Sorry. Wow. Herbert. Hubert, or or to John Shire. I'm sure they're both fine gentlemen. Or to okay? Herbert. Or to Herbert, whoever you are. Um, that's a good, that's a good uh, episode title. Um, I feel like Carolina and Duke should be able to do better. And I don't mean that in the sense of, like, hype, and I don't mean that in the sense of, like, that neither of these guys can coach. Um, I mean, they were around legends, and those legends vouched for them, right? So that means something. And I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not gonna, gonna argue that that isn't meaningful. I'm just saying that like if you're Carolina and Duke and you, you don't even like it, maybe they did try to get, you know, coach X, Y, and Z, but you look at the the coaching carousel every year and how many of the guys who, who move jobs, how many of the coaches just in America would love the opportunity to, to, to take on one of those. And you think about the best of the best. Now maybe you can't go out and get, you know, I don't know, Tony Bennett, right? Um, but there's got to be some it just it the idea that you just have a guy on your bench to come after a legend 
I I just don't know if that's going to work out. Now maybe well, also both- with Duke, it's like weird because um, in this particular case, like Hubert Davis, I can kind of understand a little bit more just because but he's never he, been a head coach, man. His yeah, coaching shot- experience is the JV team at Carolina. My thing with Shire was like he's their number one assistant now, but there were a lot of other guys ahead of him that have gone on to be head coaches. That like if he had promoted um like Capel to head coach or Chris Collins, yeah, or Wojo, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. But Shire is like he was like the fourth guy down the bench, and now he's like the successor. Well, and here's the problem, Duke had. Like, I mean, if we all want to, you know, just those of us here in the um in the government who's listening, like. Those other dudes didn't do very well once they got their shot. You know, like yeah, if one true, of those too. guys they don't had, have had a some natural choice. Exactly. Yeah. If, if like Johnny Dawkins goes to Stanford and is just killing it and winning Pac 12 tw- titles and stuff, then yeah, bring him home. Right. If Wojo goes out or Chris Collins goes out, you know, and they're winning, you know, with consistency, then yeah, bring him home. But none of those dudes did that. Like the, co- the coaching tree sort of, you know, the, the, the leaves dried up a little bit. And, so I understand why you couldn't turn to one of them. My problem. So now they're is, just choosing the unknown. Exactly. Is that instead of going with a guy who at least is, I understand that John has been at Duke, right? And he understands. And look, for all we know, yeah, I'm sure he's a sharp dude and he's going to, yeah. Fine. And it's look, Duke. for all we know, he's been running the actual show for years, right there. That's a, that's a very real possibility, but I just, is that like, I just, I, I look at it and I think these are pillars for lack of a better description, of the college basketball world, and you just turned it over to two dudes who did not have any head coaching experience anywhere. Like, nowhere. And I get that they understand the people, and I understand that the understanding of culture is as integral as anything. But they're not replacing Mike London. No disrespect to Mike London. They're not replacing just an, a, a coach, right? They're replacing living legends, like actual legends, national championship, multiple national championship coaches, right? Like at places where there is no runway. Like you got to get the thing off the ground and it's got to yeah. stay in the air and you can never land the plane. It puts like, them in a, it puts a school in a tough spot too because it's like true. if you you can't like put Shire directly on the hot seat right away because it's like well then you're almost like going against Coach K's wishes like if you right. get rid of him after two years or whatever right and then I guess there's also the piece of this that like with Roy at least he said he was leaving and then you could go out and hire a coach right how yeah they chose that path basically how, how, if you're Duke how in the world do you continue to to if you're going to do the farewell tour if you're not going to have somebody as the coach in waiting right. Like you don't really have an option to go out and say, "Oh, we're going to go hire Coach X." That coach is going to continue to coach his current team for the for this entire season, but then he's <laughs> going to come here. You know, like you're and you you can't just be like, "Well, we'll we'll wait and see," because then everybody's going to be like, you know, freaking out about what the you know what the um the record is like and that kind of thing. Um, and then the well, question I don't even endless. think that I don't even know if that school would like let them coach <laughs> if that was the case. Oh, of course not. No. I mean, heck, most schools don't want you even coaching your bowl game. They're like, get away from us. Um, you it's know? a tough spot, too, because, like, um, like if you put a gun to my head and said, like, is John Shire going to be successful at Duke? I would say yes, but not overwhelmingly so. Well, like, see, that would my, be my I guess. would say no, and it would be the exact reason, is that he's going to ha- – I think he's going to be fine because I do think on some level Duke will sell itself, right, that it is still a – you know, uh, it's still going to be a destination – um, I, I think the 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 culture that 
that Kay established there, even if Virginia fans who are listening to this are, you know, cursing us right now, like that will resonate with kids. The idea of the brotherhood and that kind of thing. Like that will plus resonate. He can, plus he can bring back Capel and Collins and Wojo when they all get fired. <laughs> that's true. Um, well, one already was, but that's true. The but the, the flip side of that is right. Like, yeah, he might have some success, but is he going to have enough? And maybe this is a calculated decision on the parts of both Carolina and Duke to essentially say, okay, you know what? We don't want to have to worry about replacing Frank Beamer and having a little bit of the, uh, you know, the, the nostalgia piece of it, as well as bringing in the new coach. Let's just have the nostalgia piece of it. Wait for, wait to see how that works out. And if we need to go get a real coach, you know, somebody with, you know, actual, you know, head coaching experience, maybe a national championship or something in their, um, in their, in their, um, in their past, then, then we do that. You know, maybe that's the calculus here. And if so, yeah, because hey, if you're Duke, it's like, you know, if, if Shire doesn't work out, you can still go get whoever you want. And it's very possible that because you went you went this route, that you're li- more likely to get the guy you actually want because they don't want to have to follow a legend. Like following a legend is not easy. Think about think about the historic sort of great coaches that you know of and who came after them. Most of the time, you know, they don't it's do hard to great. think of who came after them. You, know, you can't remember like, who came after them because a lot of the good. situations play out a little bit like what it did after Dean Smith, right? Where you had a little bit of success because you know you're still sort of, you know, you're you're still sort of connected to that same um, power source, so to speak. And, and that then it was that up. was sort of that was sort of like this too, right? I mean, wasn't exactly one of his assistants. I mean, he was older, obviously. It, yeah, he was older, and it, it certainly wasn't in a uh, a similar position to Hubert or, or to John Shire. Um, again, I, I I look at the both of those situations, and I think there's a very real chance that they're going to be successful. Um, I, as a decision maker would be, I would be hard pressed to hand an actual program, regardless of where I am right over to somebody who doesn't have any head coaching experience. If you're going to do that, you do it because of the experience they do have. When you try to balance that with like, you think about how coaches get their shots. Now what happens? You're, you're six, you're at a school, that school's that head coach and, and that program is successful. And so then you get an opportunity to, to go to, you know, uh, an Atlantic 10 school, you go to, um, you know, some sort of mid major somewhere you prove yourself, yeah, you know, Chris you win Beer, some games, he started somewhere small as an exactly. you work your way up little rock. What, and so what on, I so. find fascinating though, is that it was kind of the Duke guys who broke this mold, right? It wasn't that long ago, right, when Virginia had several assistant coaches who everybody would ask me, like, all right, so how long until so-and-so gets a head coaching job or how long until so-and-so gets a coaching job? Mm-hmm. Well, then you watch Wojo, you watch Chris Collins, you watch these guys jump straight from the assistant coach bench to not having to be the head coach of their own team to these other schools. And you're like, oh. Yeah, they also they got to jump the line because of the reputation of Duke where it's like exactly. they went straight to Marquette and Northwestern. Yeah, and, and, and you know, so then I think Capel that – Obviously, paid his dues. He went to VCU and yeah, that. But, yeah, but, but, but I think once, once – uh, Wojo and Capable, I'm excuse me, Wojo and Collins jumped. It was like I think a lot of assistant coaches were like, "Oh, okay, I can just I can just hang out here until a good opportunity shows up." Yeah, Mike Hopkins went from Syracuse to Washington. Yeah, well, he was um, also there was a whole thing right with him being the coach in waiting at Syracuse. Yeah, and that's the one thing I was thinking of a couple weeks ago um, with the Shire situation is like how many coach and waiting scenarios have worked. There's one that I can think of. Um, that worked really well, and that would be Tony Bennett replacing his father. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. And even that, even that only lasted for like three years, um, and then he left. Uh, you know, you think like Kevin Ollie won a national title as like a coach in waiting, um, and but he was he's gone. You know, yeah. 
That's right. Um, and that was like a really weird, fluky title. Like <laughs> it felt like, um, not to take anything away from him as a coach, but like right. you know, they weren't able to replicate it at all. Um, but other than that, I mean, most of the time, and the same thing goes for football too. Um, it feels like most of the time these situations don't work out for one reason or another. No, they don't. You know, and Jimbo the, Fisher and, was supposed to be the coach in waiting, and then there was a whole kerfuffle, and 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 maybe they had a little success, but they weren't able to sustain it. You know, yeah. like these these things typically like clean breaks are really the only place. Well, and then you're you know, if you go success. back even further, like James Franklin was the was Ralph Friedgen's coach. Exactly, and exactly. And he ba- bailed because they didn't he hire. Bailed because yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's also it's one of those things too. Like if you're John Shire and Coach K is going to retire, uh, if you're the and and what do you want? Well, you want the head job, right? But sometimes I think we we look at sports and we think that the that the that the person who who goes after it is a is the right that that's the right call and that's I'm not saying that's always the right or wrong call I'm just saying that like in this situation of course John Shire wants to be that coach yeah he but should he be right <laughs> no no exactly but he could you know, look he, back on this 20 years from now and be like I wasn't ready exactly and he and he might go out there and he's able to sort of recruit the same kids and he's running a lot of the same stuff make some changes you know like I could totally see a scenario where a guy who is well <laughs> steeped in eggs <laughs> I can see a scenario where a guy who's well steeped in what Duke does knows all the places where the knobs need to be turned to make some changes that to still be Duke, but be a little bit better, you know, maybe, you know, you know, change some, some ways that Kay may have had and that kind of thing continue to, if you, cause here's the thing is if they're, if they're successful out of the gate, they'll continue to recruit well, right? That that'll just happen. They won't miss much of a beat. The problem with basketball specifically is like it is the, especially at Duke. I mean, this is not necessarily as big an issue at Carolina, but like it's such a one and done, you know, like to be that school. Like maybe he maybe he's still gonna be able to get the best of the best. But do you really can you really count on it to be the case? And if not, like I said, if I'm John Shire, you're absolute you want that job. And it's and in sports we always we always champion the folks who go after it, right? I'm not saying that he should not have wanted it. I'm just saying that there maybe should have been people in the decision making process who said should we really do this? Now, maybe the kid, like I said, he's just incredibly impressive. He's able to to just, you know, blow everybody away. Yeah, if that's I the mean, case, if, that's Mike, if, Mike, if Mike goes to the AD and he's like, I want John to be the coach, and they're like, yeah, we really like him too, then cool, do it. But, like, you know, we'll see. Time will tell, I guess. Um, but yeah. long story short, Tony's League. <laughs> uh, Tony's League indeed. Um, all right, I think that's a good place to... To put a pin in it, um, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. If you have found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on, oh man, where are we? Um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that the programs are sold, we should be there. And if we're not, let me know because we should be. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, calfscorner.com. Let's see, right now I've got the feature on Isaac Trout. I got the feature on um, Fisher Anderson. Damon wrote like nine stories in like the last 24 hours. He wrote one on Ernie Clement's first hit. He had one on Carl Kuhn, who he talked to, the former uh, pitching coach who's now at Radford, um, near and dear to Ferber's heart. Um, but uh, and obviously the the coverage of um, the series and stuff. The War Room has been running the last few weeks and we'll be back on Friday as they get ready for another visit weekend. Um, I've got stories coming when I can find a time to run them on AJ Holmes on um, Artie Henry 
Uh, I also talked to him. I talked to Stevie Bracey. So I've got lots of stuff in the hopper that's coming up. So definitely give us a look at the website. So again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Ferber for being back on the program and giving graciously of his time. I very much appreciate it. So for Justin Ferber and Brad Franklin, publisher of CatScorn.com, thanks for coming out. See you soon.